Good morning. My name is Kent Wilcox. And for those of you who might be new to the church or don't know me very well, let me just say right up front, I am not a paid religious professional of any kind. <laughs> and I'm not a member of the church staff or anything like that. I'm a temp. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm a friend of our pastor, Kurt Carlson, who needed a, a, a break. And so way back in the summer, he asked if I would cover for him today. And I said, sure, no problem. But if you ask me to do a guest uh, sermon, I get to pick the topic. And he said, okay. And so way back in the summer when I was preparing to do the Bible study through Romans that our small groups are doing, I read through Romans a couple times, and I came to the passage I'm going to teach you today, Romans 8, 28 through 30, and I stopped and read it through a whole bunch of times because it's one of my favorites, has been for years. So I said, okay, if I'm going to preach, this is my topic, that's the way it is. And at the time, I did not know that Kurt was going to do a sermon series on God's grace. Uh, I guess it's a God thing. Because this passage I'm going to teach you today is known by theologians, of which I'm an amateur, as the passage about God's prevenient grace. And I'll explain what that means to you in a moment. So it fits right in. All right? Coincidence? I think not. So what I'm going to do today, just so you know, uh, you don't know me very well, uh, Kurt is a gifted preacher. My style is a little different. Uh, I'm more of a teacher than a preacher, so pretend like you're back in school. And if you're new here today and you don't like my style, please come back next week because the other guy's a lot better. <laughs> all right, so here's what I'm going to do. First of all, I'm going to teach you the meaning of the words in the passage. And yes, we are going to do some grammar. So if you'd like to run now, this is your time. Then I'm going to help you understand the significance of the words to the original recipients. They were the believers who lived in Rome. That's why it's called the letter to the Romans. What did the words mean to them? And finally, I'm going to help you understand the relevance of the words to your life. When you study the Bible, you do MSR, meaning significance relevance. There. I think I just earned my paycheck for the day. So if you have Bibles with you, open them up, please, to Romans chapter 8. And we'll take a look at verse 28 through 32. Before I read the passage, let me explain what the context is. I'm going to focus on just three sentences. And they begin with the word and. So what's the and all about? It means that there's something else there in front of it. So if you take the time to read this on your own, take a look through chapter 8 of the book of Romans. And it's all about, Paul is explaining to his friends in Rome, it's all about how the Holy Spirit of God, who indwells them, and it's about uh, some of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. And I'll mention a couple. In verse 3, he says the Spirit sets us free from death. In verse 11, he says that the Spirit gives us eternal life. In verse 15, he says the Holy Spirit gives us direct access to God. And in verse 26, he says the Holy Spirit prays for us when we are too weak or too scattered or confused to do it ourselves. And there are other ministries there. If you have your Bible, take a look at verse 22, where Paul uses an amazing figure of speech. He says creation itself is groaning, awaiting uh, God's repair and redemption of, of creation. Groaning is making a sound of pain or anticipation. Creation itself is groaning, he says. And then in verse 23, he says, and we ourselves are also groaning, waiting for that redemption of the world and ourselves. So the Holy Spirit is one of God's agents, is God's agent in that redemption. And then he gets personal here in verse 28. While you're waiting for God's plan to unfold in creation, what about you? 
And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So I'm going to take you through this passage briefly and explain all the important words, and I put some of them on the green sheet there in the bulletin. First of all, he uses the word we know. It's a funny little construction in the original language. By the way, just so you know, not because I'm better than you, but just because I can, uh, I actually uh, can read New Testament Greek, and I translated the passage for you. And don't be impressed, okay, because a lot of you people can dribble a basketball, and I can't. Okay? So if some of you ever has like a Greek club, I'll be the captain. Okay? So Paul uses these little words, we know, and the construction there means this is a generally accepted fact. So he wants to reassure his friends in Rome by saying, we already know this. Let me just tell you again. In the Greek, uh, uh, the word uh, all things means all things. How ironic. The word those who love is a funny one. It's a participle, okay? It's a verbal noun. In English, it's a weird translation, and it's kind of cranky, right? It says those who are loving. That's, that's, that's what that is, all right? The word good is interesting. Do you know anyone named Agatha? It's an old-fashioned name. We don't use it much anymore. Um, in the Greek, uh, agathos means good. So if you know anyone named Agatha, her name means good. You can use that kind of at a cocktail party. Hey, Agatha. Hey. Okay. <laughs> but it's more than just good. It's not like a good meal or a good steak or a good baseball game. The word agathos in Greek refers to good as defined by God. It's God's moral standards of good. We don't get to pick. He does. Purpose is Prothesis. It refers to the divine purpose. Not my purpose or yours or any man's or woman's, but God's purpose. Those who are being called is another weird word. It's a participle. The being called ones. The being called ones. Called here implies a continuous verbal action. That's what a participle is. It's continuous action in present time. Call, 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 call. That's what that is. Firstborn means firstborn of a spiritual family. Okay? There's some of the interesting nouns. I'm sure you're fascinated by this, but wait. Let's get to the verbs. All the verbs in this passage are in what's called aorist tense, and that's really interesting. What the aorist means is it's something that happened in the past, and it's complete, and it has ongoing effects in the present time. That's what that means. Keep that in mind. And here's some interesting verbs here. The verb foreknew. That means to know someone intimately beforehand. And what Paul is saying is that before there was creation itself, before there was a material world, God knew us. Take a look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, where he says, In the beginning was, and he talks about the Word, the Lord, the light. Jesus existed. God existed. The Holy Spirit, the three-in-one God existed before creation did, before you and I did. And at that time, I have got to do the finger thing because there wasn't time, okay? Before time, God foreknew us intimately. 
He predestined us to a purpose. That means he had a design. He had a design. Some of you who are engineers or designers or software, you know, program people, you know what I'm talking about, before you sit down to write the code or build the building or whatever, you have to have a design, okay? You all know that if you start coding without having a design, your software is not going to work. I mean, your QA guy is, is right there in your face, right? But you do it anyway. Anyway, okay? No one starts to work without a design, and neither did God. He had a design. He predestined us. The next verb is called. Remember, past time, continuous action. Kaleo is the verb. And it's what theologians call the effectual call. You know what that is? Okay. When you were a good little kid, your parents called you by your name. When I was a good boy, I was Kent. But when I was a bad boy, I was Kent Lester Wilcox. That's the spanking name. Okay? Kent Lester Wilcox, you get over here right now and bring the wooden spoon. That's kaleo, except God doesn't threaten with the spoon. It's the effectual call. See, when God calls you, when he says, you know, John or Jane or Joe or Kent, come here, you have to come. Kaleo. Justified. Justified. That is the act of being made guilt-free before the judge. And when God justifies you, which he did already, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been called before the judge, you've been pronounced guilt-free, and you now live in a state of being justified. You're still guilt-free. This happened to me a couple of years ago. I got my first, no, my second speeding ticket my entire life, going through a construction zone on the 4th of July. So I'm driving my kids someplace, and this car roars up behind me. It was a Camaro, you know, right? And the lights flash. The guy pulls me over. I thought, what, what, what? So he pulls me over for speeding. Well, it was a 45-mile-per-hour zone, but it was 25 because of construction. Okay? So I went to court. I went to traffic court. An astonishing place to be, by the way. And when it was my turn, the judge, who was a woman, said, you know, Mr. Wilcox, do you have anything to say for yourself? And I said, well, yeah. It was 4th of July. There was no traffic except the Camaro behind me. No construction workers. All the orange barrels were off by the side of the road. The sky was clear. The road was dry. I have a perfect record. And she said, you know what? Looking at my record, you're right. You do have a perfect record. No problem. You can go. And I said, what? What? I can go? She said, yes. And you know what? Just like on TV, she got my summons, and she wrote on a pen, with a pen, dismissed in the interest of justice. Yes. Just like on TV. Okay? <laughs> so, I am made guilt-free by her honor. And if you look at my driving record, it is still clean. Okay? I dare you. Look at my driving record. It's clean. <laughs> when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, label it how you will, I don't care, born again, saved, trusted Christ, whatever, God has brought you into court, justified you, guilt, gone, no more. Finally glorified, and here's the one that makes my head hurt, but I'll give it a, I'll give it a try. We just sang the doxology. The verb is actually doxadzo. That's the verb, doxadzo. Here's what it means. It means to invest someone with dignity or majesty to make glorious 
by admission to a state of bliss. Okay? To make someone glorious. Paul says, glorify. That's past tense. I already told you that. It's aorist tense. It's done. You've been glorified. Do you feel glorified today? Preach it, sister. Okay? Look at yourselves, and you might not say, I'm glorified, or, you know, you're not either, but yes, you are. Yes, you are. Okay, so is that all done? No, that's not all done. We'll be glorified for real, you know, 100% complete, when we are gone from this world and we're in the next. Then we're glorified. So look at what Paul wrote to his friends in Rome. God foreknew you, predestined you, called you. Come here, that's effectual. Made you guilt-free and glorified you. Holy smokes. Okay? So here's what I did. I spent quite a bit of time on this, and I translated the passage for you. This is the Kent version. Here it is. And we know as a generally accepted fact that to those who are loving God, all things work together towards God's defined moral good. To those who, according to the divine purpose, are the being called ones. This is happening so that those who he knew intimately and designed beforehand <clears throat> to be of like form to the image of his son so that he might be the head of the spiritual family of many brothers and sisters. Those who he designed beforehand, those he also called with effect. Those who he called to salvation, those he also made to be without guilt. And those he made to be without guilt are you ready? He invested them with dignity and majesty and admitted them to a state of bliss. That's you, okay? Okay. So significance. What did this mean to the Roman people, uh, Christians in Rome? And I'll just tell you briefly. On television, there's a lot of TV shows on, you know, the History Channel and whatever about Rome these days, right? Have you seen some of these? Roman engineering and Roman soap opera and Roman sex and politics, whatever. Okay, they're all pretty well done. And I'll... Summarize this with, in one word, corruption. Roman civilization was corrupt from top to bottom. That's what the Roman people were living in. That's what the Roman believers were living in, a very corrupt society. So after Paul writes, you know, someday creation is going to be redeemed. If you're a believer in Rome, you might ask the question, when? You know, would you hurry up? So the assurance in this passage I just read from Paul to his friends in Rome is Whatever happens, God has a plan, and it works out for his moral good and yours. He wrote this to people who were living under the reign of Emperor Nero. People thought Claudius was bad because he kicked the Jews out. Nero was a wacko. He killed everyone he got his hands on. Okay? That's all I can say about that. Someday, if you're in the mood, I'll give you a course on Roman history and the effect of politics and economics on the Christian faith, but not today. So what does my sermon title mean? I called it Prevenient Grace. What is that? It's grace that comes first. That's it. There, you've learned a new word. God's prevenient grace came first. What's the point? He did it all. We didn't do anything. We weren't around. Our universe didn't exist at the time he did all this. Does that make your head hurt yet? Just wait. Okay, so I wanted to summarize by saying here are the things that this passage teaches us, but things is such a lame word. I just can't stand that. I've been taught that when you teach and you use the word things, you haven't thought it through yet. So let me try this. 
facts? No, too dull. Truths? No, too Baptist. Um, <laughs> that's where I went to school. So here's the analogy I came up with. Let's say you live next door to a really important person in a big house, and you can't get in the door to meet the person. But the person doesn't mind if you stand outside the windows and look in. What these three verses give us then are some windows into the house of God. And I summarized it with two observations. One, God has a heart, and two, God has a mind. And I think I put that in the middle of the green sheet if you're keeping score. God has a big heart. He loves us. Now, we know what love is. We love our kids. We love our puppies. We love our car. You know, we know what that is. God loves us so much that before we existed, he had a plan to put his love into action. And I put in a scripture reference. John wrote, we love because he first loved us in 1 John. And God has a mind. And I think this is just so cool because I like to be, you know, logical and stuff. He thinks and he plans. See, that's the difference between God and us often. Often human love degenerates into mere sentiment. And we get, you know, cooey and drippy and nothing happens. God's love is not sentiment. It's depth of feeling in his heart and it's turned into action for our benefit. Those of you who are parents or someday will be, remember that. It's easy to love the little infant who's all cute and everything. Try it when that infant is a teenager. Hopefully between infancy and teenagedom, you've put your love into some plans. Okay? This I understand. That's prevenient grace. All right, some of the open windows. If you're following along on the green sheet, here are some. This is relevance. You might be asking, okay, Kent, you know, why does this apply to me? Why should I care? I thought of a whole bunch of reasons why, but I'll just share a few. I'll just repeat it. God's plan is working for his good and also for yours. I'm sorry, but here's the deal. You don't get to choose your own good. Sorry. That doesn't mean that God's good is your bad. Okay? When you're walking with Christ and being fed by the word and being with other Christians and you have a communication with God, his plan works out for good, and that's your good too. Like you Gen X people say, you know, hey, it's all good. Yeah? For once you're right. It is all good. All right? God's good, God's good is your good. God's plan is working for his good. Here's another one. The call of God is effectual. Okay, if you're here today and God is calling you and you're resisting the call, take my advice and stop. Fight it. He's going to win. Okay? So if you're here today and you don't know God, you're seeking him, you're not sure you know, where you are, if God is calling you, then stop fighting and listen. Come on in. Eventually he's going to win. Here's another one. There's nothing about you that God does not already know. Okay, So get over it. In a few minutes, we're going to come to the table of communion, where we get to come not because of what we've done or who we are, but because of who God is. Don't let anything get in the way today between you and coming to the table. And if you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm such a bad person, I've got secret this, I've got evil that, I've got sinful whatever, just knock that off, because God already knows. Can't hide from him. Here's another one. You are guiltless before God. You are guiltless before God. If you don't feel that, then think about changing the feelings because it's true. I know some of you here are dealing with, or dealing with, that's a weird word. You are, you are uh, you're getting healed over emotional 
problems, traumas, issues, and things that you've dealt with. Um, and you may have been raised in a culture of guilt. And maybe you're feeling guilty. But let me just tell you, God has declared you guiltless, so don't let any person put their guilt on you. Shrug it off, walk away, be done. No more. Okay? And some of you are going through some very difficult times right now, I know that. You have illnesses, some are life-threatening, some are very serious. Uh, emotional things you're dealing with, you're going to think this is easy for me to say, but it's not. Um, all these things in life are working together for good if you are one of the people who is called according to God's plan. Okay? There you go. I'm almost done. Let me close with a demonstration. Here's the thing. I've been a teacher for many years, and I know this to be true. When we're done today, you're probably going to say to me, oh, Kent, that was wonderful. And I say, thank you very much. <laughs> but 24 hours from now, you'll forget 90% of what I said. So here's the 10% I want you to remember. So if you're nodding off, wake up. Attention on deck. I have a little demonstration. Last night, I counted out 100 beans into this little cup out of this soup bean pile in the kitchen. There's a hundred in there. All right? God foreknew all of us. There's the F cup. And what came next? Starts with P. He predestined us for his divine purpose. And then starts with C. What did he do? Come here. Come here. Come here. And then it starts with J. You are made guiltless before God. If you don't like hearing it, that's your problem. It's true. Finally, the G cup. What then? Okay, all the beans are in the G cup. If you're part of God's plan, you're not getting out. One final thing, and then I'm done. A few months ago, my lovely wife was talking to her mother on the telephone, and her mom said, well... I have lung cancer. And so Sharon said, Mom, how are you doing? She said, well, you know, I'm doing okay. Because I know that all things work together for good for those who love God. And my wife said, and Mom, you're one of those. Thanks. <laughs>